Welcome back to the third episode of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. I'm Connor O'Shea and we hope you keep it well. This week, Eddie and I talk about the realities of being a professional coach. Is it enjoyable? What does the test week schedule look like for Eddie? And we remember our first ever chat about an up-and-coming prop called Kyle Sinclair. We sat down in uh, Guildford and you said, is there anyone, uh, your first year, your first month in the job or whatever, is there, is there anyone I'm missing? Is there anyone that and I yeah. said, Kyle Sinclair? All that and more to come. Let's get into it. Eddie, um, there's the perfect Hi, starter. There's the good, good. There is the perfect starter. Do you always enjoy what you do? Uh, well, coaching's become more complex over over the years, and I think the enjoyable part is working with the players and, and coaching on the field. That's the fun part, and that hasn't changed. Uh, but there's some other parts of the game, you know, when you get when you lose a game and you get hammered by the media and everyone's in the you go down the petrol station and the and the petrol station is telling you who to pick in the side. So that's not much that's not very enjoyable. But the coaching, yeah, working with the players is still great fun. How long does it take you to get over the down times, the the, the, the bad times, like a bad match, a bad performance? How how long does it take you to park it or have you learnt over the years to that how you react has the biggest influence on your squad and your coaches. Yeah, well, I've learnt that. And I uh, always remember that there was a AFL coach, uh, Malcolm Blight, he said, you got 24 hours to enjoy it or 24 hours to get over it. And that's about right. Um, and I think with experience, you learn, you learn how important that is. And I remember, is it, well, we both know him, you know him very well as well, uh, Mark Mapletoft. And yeah. we, uh, when I was involved for the first time and he was a, a player, he came to London Irish right at the tail end of his career and I was in coaching and he would get on the bus after a game, win or lose, as a player and he would just switch. The game would be done. And I found that really hard to cope with in my mind. I was very, I was only 31, 32 at the time, I was a young uh, as a young coach, just had retired from, uh, from after injury. And I found that really hard in my mind to get my head around, like, oh, why aren't you down? Why aren't you more depressed? And yeah. it wasn't him lacking any sense of motivation. He could just compartmentalise very easily. This, 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 or this. Uh, how have you, because I'm sure you look at it the whole time, you go into dressing room after match, you're seeding, and you might see a bloke in the corner looking for his first beer. Uh, you know, do, do you find that irritating, or how do you how do you work that out in your head? I definitely did. Um, I think the younger I did, the more irritating I found it. I've also found that over the generations, players now change more quickly, and it's what society's like. You know, everything's far quicker, and they've got the ability to get over a loss quicker. It doesn't mean that it means less to them, but they get over a loss quicker and are, are more quickly into into what's next um, and you have to keep changing because otherwise you have a detrimental effect on your team you know and mm. I think what you always want to see is the effort on the field if you see the effort on the field how they react after the game is is part of their character and part of how society is now and do you because I've seen a lot with you your go-to after a game is always blame yourself publicly you see in the media the media is uh well i didn't coach well it's my fault take after france i didn't do it it was me um is that a 
a natural go-to for you after a performance to always look first at yourself? Is that a deflection to say, I won't take all this on me and I'll actually analyze this properly? What's, what is your self-reflection and your performance that always say, where do you start it? Well, I think, it, A, I think it's true. I think, yeah, if your team hasn't played well, the first person you've got to look at is yourself. So, and that makes it, it makes it easy because the, the thing you don't want to do is put more pressure on the players, particularly at the international level. You know, they're under enough pressure as, as, as it is. And they're all giving you 100%. They're all trying hard. I like to try to absorb that pressure. And I also like to like the fact that it makes me coach better. You know, if my team hasn't played well, I accept the responsibility they haven't played well. And when they played, when they have played well, yeah, it's great to give the credit to the players. So I think from a coaching coaching point of view, if you if you stick on that those simple parameters, you'll have a much better relationship with your team. And I think it's also easier for the coach to handle himself. Rewind yourself back from international rugby all the way back to your start when you're dealing with a completely disparate group of players. Imagine your first first team that you coached and you have the motivated, the demotivated uh it's like any any team that you have at the community level, but you're really ambitious because you're young and learning. Uh, how do you, can you can you think back to those days as to how you compartmentalise the loafer who really didn't put it in, and you can see it. Obviously, you're a different coach at that age as well. How do you uh, how, how do you cope with that? Do you think, or can you remember back that far? Oh yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I think the common term in uh, England's a hairdryer. So that used to come out a bit, um, and and sometimes it used to work. Um, but I think players are much different now, and you have to treat them differently. Uh, I just find that you have to keep a much more positive environment generally now than you used to. I think you could twenty years ago you could probably be a lot more honest uh, directly, and now you have to create a, a level of honesty through more positivity. And is that just society? Is or, or why, why do you think that is? Uh, we well, see, you know, parents with their kids. They're, generally, the parenting now is all about positivity, and I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just the way it is, and it's difficult, difficult for some players to cope with anything that's not makes them feel good. Um, a lot of times, these these good young players, particularly. All they're told is how good they are. So they're never told about a way to improve. And, and you have to take a fairly gentle journey with them um, and, and teach them how to be coached. And I think anyone in the community community will find that as well, that you get a group of players and you've got to work out quickly who you can be more honest with, who you've got to be more gentle with, who you've got to educate to, to be coached. And that's part of the, the most important process when you get the team. Yeah, but that's fascinating because international rugby, of all things, is brutal. International sport, doesn't matter, not rugby sport, is brutal. Yeah. You do not get a huge amount of time. So how how quickly can, do you need to fast-track some of those people? Because you get hit. It's easy when you're on your way up, but it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have – Philip Danaher came up to me uh, – you won't even remember the name, do you? He captained Ireland. No, he was a fullback centre. And he came back to right. me. He was captain of Ireland in 93. And I got my first cap. And I'll never forget it. 
He came up to me after I'd been announced to the team and he shook my hand and he said, uh, I'll congratulate you when you've been dropped and you make it back. And I looked at him. I was going, what is all that about? And it only retrospectively meant everyone hits a hard time. And almost internationally, people were looking at the guys who had the ability to take the knock and come back as opposed to just take the smooth path. And, I, you know, sometimes that, that's what you see in people. It's it's not just the mental ability to make it. It's dealing with that pressure. And they have to learn very quickly. It's a harsh world. Yeah, well, that's the difference between being a good club player and being a good international player. I think that adaptability, that ability to to ride with the, the bumps and and that's where, you know, it's sometimes difficult to explain selection because you've selected a player because you think you can handle the rigours of international rugby and there'll be players who are great players at the club level who you don't think have the capacity to handle that, that rigour uh, at the international level and uh, it's, it's something as an international coach you've got to be able to pick up quickly with the player and, and make an assessment. But certainly what we look for, we're looking for now, like my role now behind, but it's hopefully supporting you and and looking at the pathway. It's not just about who's the best, it's who's the ability to adapt to different environments, different styles, because international rugby is about, well, every international sport is about amalgamating who can adapt their style within a team. I mean, there might be one team that offloads, one team that is big on pressure, one team that's big on structure, one team that likes being unstructured. But you're marrying, and it's which players have that ability to adapt in. And not a lot of people see that side of the selection. They always look at who is the best player, as opposed to, well, no, international rugby is about the best, obviously, but it's also about adaptability. There's a very good uh, cricket coach. He had a saying, character over cover drive. And that's that just about <laughs> summar- summarises it. Um, and it's the same in international rugby. Yeah, character is the big thing because... You've got to be able to absorb, as you said, those hard times, be able to bounce back, find yourself. You know, someone like Lewis Ludnam, um, young kid, came into the World Cup. It's fantastic. You know, he's been picked out of nowhere. Twelve months ago, he's playing for Northampton BT. Now he's in the World Cup squad, plays in three or four games, comes back, struggles a bit at Northampton because it's, it's difficult now because people are, have seen he's a good player and they go at him a bit and the pressure comes on comes into our camp, doesn't get selected, um, not at his best, but fights back hard. And so he, he's shown a lot of character, and, and they're the sort of players you know can really start to kick on again. Yeah, and they're, they're the ones that you know that will have a bad game, will park it, and they won't get eaten up by the external pressures, and that's what you're looking for. What about then, we're talking about players there. Well, first of all, how do you absorb the pressure? Because... God knows there's a roller coaster for a coach more than anything else in the world. So how do you handle pressure, do you think? Uh, Well, I think, again, you just try to work out what you can control and what you can't control and and just focus on the things you can do, which is coaching the team well, creating a good team environment, getting your selection right, and just just try to park all the criticism. Don't listen to it. yeah, you need to have a few people external who you do listen to because they might tell you something that's that's very good. Um, but just keep controlling what you can control and don't worry about things you can't control. So you listen, you listen to your wife the whole time? She's the boss? Uh, sometimes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of that, you, you talked just before we went, we started this, 
You've got a bit of CBD going on today, even though like we're in lockdown, everyone's not able to meet up. You've got your CPD, you've got your coaches meeting, only you've got player meetings tomorrow. Uh, you're constantly planning when it comes to match time, tour times. God, I, I was blown away by the intensity of a World Cup, but there was just no escape uh, from camp. And again, that goes back to your selection. Who's able to stay together for 60, 90 days? It is hey. well, longer. It is tough because it looks like you've got the Instagram posts and they're having a good time, but it is 90, 120 days away from family. Talk about your kind of work-life balance, uh, both in and out of tour. How do you cope? Uh, well, firstly, on tour, it's it's difficult, mate. Um, like I'll normally try to get one night away with the coaches, maybe just go for a drink and just chew the fat a bit, have a bit of fun, a bit of laugh. I think laughter always helps. I've traditionally always found I try to find a, a drama to watch at night. So the 2015 World Cup was House of Cards. Uh, kept me amused at night. You know, I watched that and just got your mind away from rugby. So it's just finding little bits and pieces. I remember uh, Eddie O'Sullivan used to say, grab a book and go to a cafe on a Thursday and just grab some time away. Um, so you look for little bits and pieces that just get you back to to a nice equilibrium because you're always trying to get back to that equilibrium state. Um, and and that's the main thing. And, and for me, in terms of coaching, I don't have anything at home. I don't have one piece of rugby. I don't own one piece of rugby memorabilia. I don't have anything. So when I go home, it's there's zero rugby. Um, so it's just time with the the wife and and time with the dog and 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 just try to enjoy those moments of time, and that's worked really well for me. Yeah, my, mine was uh, my, mine was designated survivor. If you haven't watched it, you've got a bit of time. You did know, but it was quite good. Short series. You go for a long house of cards, but I went for short for obviously different. Uh, and what about what about then your because you're all the time leading and you're. We talked a bit about this last time, but you've got Mitch, you've got experience, but then you've got the young coaches who come into your environment who are trying to impress. Do you, have you ever, and this comes from someone I've never worked side by side with you, but renowned for your work ethic. Do you Have you ever come across someone you've told, hey, slow down, you're doing too much? Uh, Steve Borthwick was a bit like that. Uh, I've never seen a coach work as hard as him and attention to detail. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and he did a great job for us for England for five years. And I'm sure if you're a Leicester fan, you're going to have a good coach there. So uh, you're lucky. Uh, real attention to detail. And I think, you know, from a coaching staff point of view, you always try to get that balance in your staff. You try to have someone who's like that, who gives you that detail. Then you have try to have someone who's more relationship-based. Um and then you have someone in the middle who's a bit of a glue coach. And, and that's what I've always tried to look for in the coaching team. You don't always get it perfectly, but if you can get that, then you, you're in a pretty good spot because then it caters for all the players' needs. Yeah, and, and wh- how much then do you allow the players to drive the coaching? Uh, with, their, with, their, with, their idea, with their ideas? Yeah, it just depends on the maturity of the team. Um, you know, we're starting to develop quite a bit of maturity in our team because we're, a number of the key players have been together for five years now. So 
they're starting to have a lot more impact in terms of the coaching. You know, that term about getting equilibrium with your, your players, finding the right balance, finding the right time for them to lead, finding the right time for the coach to lead and, and making sure uh, we we keep that as balanced as we can. And before I go on to a couple of questions, so give me your, what your working week looks like. Normal, a, a match week, a normal match week for you. What does it look like? Not not, not, a, not a coronavirus lockdown week, please. <laughs> uh, if we've played well on the weekend, um, I'll generally be up around four o'clock on a Monday. Um, PM? It's incredible. AM, AM. <laughs> uh, and I'll work for a couple of hours in the office, go to the gym, then between eight and, and ten years eat. There's some sort of meetings, coaches meetings, staff meetings. Then from 10 to 12, I'll tend to roam around the training centre, uh, try to catch as many players. Again, some will be, how are you going? Some will be, what did you think of your game on the weekend? Just depending on what they need. And then the afternoon's generally training till about five or six. Then there's some review meetings. And, I, and I've tended of late... Uh, not to do anything post dinner. I'll, I'll go to my office. I won't. I won't have any staff meetings. I won't have any player meetings, and I'll just go and do some review of the day. Do a little bit of reflection. I always have a little book on my desk that I write down what I did well and what I didn't do well, just as a reminder. Because you know the old thing is, if you write it down, you got a greater chance of remembering it. I think that's a a really important thing for coaches to do at the end of the day, just do some form of reflection of what you did well, what you didn't do well. Um, and then it rolls again Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And by Friday night, you're usually spent. You're ready for bed and then it's up on Saturday and you, you, your stomach always feels terrible. You feel like, why am I doing this job? And then the game comes and you either, you're full of excitement at the end of the game or you're feeling not too good. I might come back to post-match at the end just for a, a couple of questions, but I'll, I'll ask a couple of uh, things that have come in. Uh, Sam, what do you enjoy most about coaching? Oh, that's a, that's an easy question, Sam. The, the thing I enjoy most about coaching is two things. One, seeing players improve, seeing players grow. Like for me, out of the current England squad, I'm, I'm really pleased how Genge and Sinclair have come through. You know, we took those two guys, 2016 as young guys uh, out of their clubs, uh, never wrong, couldn't be coached, and now both of them are going to be great players. You know, if they keep working hard, they're going to be great players. And the other thing then is is seeing your team mature over a period of time and at some stage play some good rugby um, and you make it, it makes you feel like it's all worthwhile. Do you, do you remember that? I remember the conversation in 2015 <laughs> about about sync. And, you, and you, we sat down. We sat down in uh, we sat down in uh, Guildford, and you said, "Is there anyone uh, your first year, your first month of the job, or whatever? Is, is there anyone I'm missing? Is there anyone?" That, and I yeah. said, "Kyle Sinclair." I remember the conversations that he's yeah. potentially, potentially world class, but yeah. he's different. He's different than even sync when we. Forget the year wrong, 2012, 2012, 11-12, he came, he was on the bench as an 18-year-old, I think, playing Toulouse away, and he came up to me in the dressing room after the game. I hadn't brought him on. Uh, 
we had won the game and he was going mad at me <laughs> for, not, for, for not putting them on as an 18-year-old against this Toulouse pack in France. That's the sort of attitude you want, isn't it? The guy who's desperate to play, desperate to show what he's got. Yeah, and he's matured a lot, hasn't he? He's, uh... Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and from everything he's done is uh, is incredible. To, to be fair, yeah. and even as a as a young kid, he was uh, strongest eighteen year old. He was the strongest by far, and just as this natural athleticism and aggressive streak, which you have to harness, and it, and it does take time to mature. And the um, great thing about him, Connor, his best is still ahead of him. Like he's going to get better and better. I might I might be able to answer this for you, but I won't. Dave asks, do you enjoy the media side of being a coach? Uh I like the to and from. Sometimes it gets wearing, but sometimes we, you know, we're they're playing a game, we're playing a game, and they win sometimes, we win sometimes. But at the end of the day, the big thing about the media is using it to help support your team, and we always try to do that. Yeah, no, and if you think back to the, I don't know what it was like in Australia, but you think back to the eighties, nineties in in my time, and you'd go on tour. Uh, and actually, the media would be not just in the same hotel. They'd be going to the same nightclubs. You know, yeah. there's this small little group of three yeah. or four. Yeah. Didn't mean they weren't very challenging. I didn't write about you. But there was a there was almost this unwritten rule. I know it's this what goes on tour stays yeah. on tour. But you could work together. You could be out together. And that would be left alone. Whereas now, that particular relationship is gone. That could never, ever happen in the, in the modern day. Yes, Jess asked. Oh, well, here's a question. I think I think everyone in the world will know this. What other sports do you enjoy watching? Uh, Jess, I love a cover drive. I love cricket. Um, <laughs> it's my uh, real passion. Um, I think it's a gr- test cricket is fantastic because again you get that ebb and flow. Yeah, you can you can lose every session in a test and win the most important session and win the test. And it comes down to players doing the right thing at the right time. Like, who can ever forget that Stokes inning? What was it, the fourth test? Where he just systematically dismantled the Australian attack. And you saw an Australian attack that had Lions who played 350 tests, you know, lose his cool. He was brilliant, Stokes. Love it. And I love football as well. Yeah, well, that that run, that uh, Lions missing the run out. Uh, with with just a couple of runs in it, I think that's the and that's it, it's been actually pretty. The hard part about having no live sport to watch is there's nothing new, but there's been some brilliant, brilliant old sport. Been I'm a I'm a golf I'm a golf nut, and watching some of the old Ryder Cups, the the miracle of Medina when Europe came back from not it's just uh, it's brilliant to watch how the, the, that momentum goes within. You're written off, but you're able to come back and these turning points that just shift the momentum. You see it in tennis, you see it in every sport. We talked about this. You can learn from every yeah. sport, everything. 100%. Um, Andrew, this is the last question uh, for this morning, Eddie. What do you do to relax and unwind? We've talked about it, but you can talk to Andrew. Uh, well, I, I train every morning. Uh, so I train for an hour every morning. I find that very, very relaxing and Quite an avid reader, um, but I've I've taken up Audible lately. So I listen I listen to books on on the on the iPhone. I find that to be pretty relaxing, and I love just watching sport. Yeah, what as Connor said, I love watching. I'm not so much a golf and tennis fan, but I love football and cricket, 
and uh, when it's when the, my favourite television show is Match of the Day, um, I love that show. You, you, what, what you what you missed over the last couple of weeks is Match of the Day doing their top ten defenders, top ten managers, top ten uh, bloopers. They're, they've been they've been All right. they've been struggling. They've been doing it virtually, but they've kept it going. <laughs> Well, listen, I think that's it for this uh, for this morning. Uh, thanks for your time, right. as ever. And uh, we look Excellent. forward to a few more questions from outside. So thank you very much, Eddie. Thanks, Connor. Thanks. Good stuff, thanks, guys. Eddie. That's it for another week of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. Thanks for your time. We've had a really good start to this new podcast. So thank you for listening. Please keep your reviews and ratings coming. Next week, we'll be covering tactical trends in games, the importance of specialist positions, and a topic you can all look forward to when I faced Eddie's England with Italy in a game that has become known as Rockgate. We'll see you then.